Welcome to the Fitness in Color podcast, where we follow and highlight the experiences of people of color in the wellness and fitness industry, telling their stories in their own words. There, there's that fire in 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 me as you know as an immigrant, uh, and I think a lot of other immigrants who became successful in running in the city of Boston is because they they had to work so hard for so many things. There are you know privileges that we don't have. And uh, we had to work really, really hard. Your parents had to work really hard for all the things that they're able to get. And when you come to a new country like the U.S., where there's a lot of opportunities and you find yourself at a place where, you know, you have nothing to lose but work hard to get you to find your way up. I use that as my motivation to, to really help me get there. And I'm thankful that I went through those really tough times because a lot of the times that's that's where I learned the most. All those, all those, all those. Ruben, thank you for joining the show, man. I'm super excited to talk to you. I think a lot of the folks that listen to this show are going to be excited to hear your story. And uh, specifically, the the Criollos and the Cabrillanos that have taken up running in the last couple of years in America here. And you'll be an inspiration to to us all, especially me. So thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks, Sid. I'm happy to be on the show and share my life story and hopefully it inspires others to do the same. So we can go and uh, jump right into it and start Talking about it, it all started. Couple questions for you to start. Where are you now? What are you doing? So yeah, I work at uh, I work at UMass Lowell actually as a, as an assistant athletic director. I went to UMass Lowell for undergrad and also for grad school, uh, where I ran competitively cross country track and field, both indoor and out. Mm-hmm. And after I graduated, I started working there. Now, I'm still working there after almost 10 years and still also running on the side. So uh, I've kind of been uh, balancing both uh, working full time and trying to compete at a high level, too. So that's that's where I'm at for now. OK, so I, I had been, I guess, under the impression that you started this running coaching team and then you were doing that full time. Yes. But it sounds like you're, you're also doing or you might be doing both. Full-time. Yes, I'm also doing that. So I admit I left that part out. So in 2016, I was getting a lot of coaching requests from people. And to me, you know, running something that's like so for me, it's like it's kind of like in my DNA now as far as like coaching and and writing training plans. So I I was reached out by a few people and eventually, you know, that number grew from, you know, two to three to five and then over 10. So essentially, um, eventually I started a a coaching business called Low Running, uh, where I coach people who are just trying to, whether it's beginner runners or trying to qualify for the uh, for Boston Marathon and just trying to be a, a weekend hero. I coach at all levels. I brought in a couple of other coaches to help me in the process. And, you know, it became kind of like a really good way to connect with the running community and really learn about uh, people's goals, uh, background. So it's been really cool to, to get to work with a really diverse, diverse group of athletes. That's awesome. So let's dig in. And I want to know who Ruben is. I want to know who Ruben is as a child, as a middle school kid who moved from Cabo Verde to Boston and your journey through Dearborn and then off to high school and college and all that fun stuff. So you're from South, right? That's where your family, that's where you were born? Right? Yes. Yes. I, I was born in South, Santa Maria, which is a very small fishing town for those of you who uh, are not uh, familiar. I basically, just like any other kid there, Loved playing soccer. Started when I was three years old. You would just go neighborhoods to neighborhoods playing soccer. You know, one street would play against the other street. 
I got together with my brother. We were always playing. We'd start the day off, you know, playing soccer, go to school, come back, play more soccer again. And, you know, we liked fishing. We liked doing a whole bunch of uh, things just in the really small town. Then in, um, you know, in 1999, my family decided to come to the U.S. Uh, where my grandfather was, and a few family members, just like any other Cape Verdean uh, family uh, going to the U.S. It's usually for better opportunities, education, healthcare, those kind of things. And I suffered from asthma really, really bad to the point where I sometimes if I would play outside, I would have to just come to a stop because it was really, really bad. My, I've had, I had many asthma attacks when I was uh, growing up. And eventually, once I came to the U.S., you know, they figured out that my asthma was induced mostly to dust. So if you're familiar with Cape Verde, we get a lot of, we get a lot of dust uh, from the, that comes straight from the Sahara Desert. I was in Cabo Verde in, in January. And so I experienced it. They call it Brumasaka. Yeah, Brumasaka. I was in Boa Vista and it was crazy. Yeah. But yeah, Brumasaka. Yeah, it's just like red dust that comes from the Sahara Desert. And it is, I, I think people sometimes don't realize how windy it is in Cape Verde. A windy day here in the U.S. is like a regular day there. It's, uh, even when I go on vacation there to run, it's incredible the amount of wind that we get straight from the Sahara Desert you know, every single day. Uh, sometimes it's it's even hard to just run because you're you know running against the wind and trying to kind of survive in this sort of like uh, dry desert. And my yeah. island is technically considered a desert because we get less rain than an actual desert. So Sal and Bovista are more on the outside, Cape Verde to the, to the right side. So we're closer to Africa and we're closer yeah. to the Sahara Desert. So we have you know we have beautiful beaches and all that. We also get almost no rain during the entire year. Uh, as in, in comparison to comparison to Santiago or Santo Town, they get a lot of rain because they are on the, on the west side of the country. Yeah. So you now coming to the U.S., that trying to really uh, adjust to, to new weather, a new pattern. You know, the cold. Eventually, you know, I went to the doctors and they, they told me, "Yeah, your asthma is really bad." And where I, I didn't really get any special treatment for it. I never used inhalers, anything like that, just because I didn't really want to become uh, addicted to them. And uh, I didn't really like the idea of using uh, drugs to sort of like alter how I felt because I didn't want to become dependent uh, on those drugs. So eventually- and how old were you? At this time, I mean, I wasn't making the decisions, but it was recommendation to my parents and I agreed with them. But uh, I, was, I was 13 years old, I went to the Dearborn Middle School right in Roxbury. Uh, we lived in Roxbury on Burrell Street, if some of you know where that is. Um, off of Dudley. Right there by, yeah, 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 Burrell Street. My um, my grandmother owns a building on Burrell Street. My dad had a little store shop, little Stoinia, on the yes. bottom of Burrell. I, I've probably yes. been to it a couple of times. <laughs> There's just a lot of you know, triple deckers there. So we, yeah. we lived on the second floor. My entire family, you know, shared the small bedroom. Um, I went to school at the Dearborn Middle School because it's, it's one of, I think at the time, the only bilingual middle school program in, in the city of Boston. So going there, the teachers were able to, to work with me to learn English. And uh, eventually, when I was there in middle school, I started doing uh, sports, primarily soccer. And then eventually, uh, we had a little bit of, of track here and there, some exposure to middle school track. I think when you went to school, when we went to school, um, we're about the same age. It might have been a little different then than it is now. When you talk about your track experience in middle school, mm -hmm. 
Like, what did that look like? Were you going to a actual track? Were you running outside? Were you running in the school? No, we, yeah, we actually, I mean, it was nothing too organized, especially at that level. Uh, basically, you know, after school or, or during, you know, during lunchtime, uh, we would do some sprinting around Dearborn Middle School. Okay. It was nothing, like I said, too, too organized because, yeah. uh, you know, it's hard to be too organized at that level. You kind of want to give a little bit more flexibility for the kids to play around and not take it too serious. But we did have, uh, you know, we would compete at the White Stadium against other schools like the Timothy, the McCormick. And I always thought the Timothy was like sort of like the Boston Celtics of basketball. They were just untouchable. No one could ever beat them. Yeah. They had their uniforms. They had their like their, their sweatshirt uniform. Yeah, they had everything. You could you'd see all the years in the back of the championships they've won. And the Dearborn, we were kind of like, you know, we would usually we try not to get bottom three. <laughs> but yeah, I remember those days. Um, we uh, you know, it was fun because I got to sort of learn through it. And I think it was during a time where I think sometimes people look at some runners and they think, oh, they've been successful their entire lives and this and that. But that's usually not the case. Uh, for me in particular, I started to really enjoy running without actually winning anything. I, I like going to the races. I, I don't think I ever placed top three in any of my races in middle school. I was usually way in the back, struggling, trying to catch catch some oxygen while I had asthma. So, you know, during those, you know, seventh grade and eighth grade, it was essentially just like that. But then in eighth grade, I believe the BAA, they started doing cross country. They had a cross country citywide program, which was really cool, uh, where they would bring you to Franklin Park. As you know, Franklin Park is one of the best cross country courses in the world. They, they held a world championship there back in the 1990s. So we started doing uh, a little bit more running with the BAA youth program. So during lunchtime, my coach or our ESL teacher would also kind of, you know, teach us a few things about relay and, and about cross country. So in the, in October, so we would go to Franklin Park and we would compete all the middle schools. We would do relay races and we'd do a cross country race. And I think my best race ever in cross country, I was maybe 16th at the middle school championship. And I was so happy because you know there's so many kids there and i i felt like it was like a major breakthrough for me and our, yeah. our relay team won second place and i was on the relay team so i still have you know the medals at home and things like that but uh that was my first time uh that i actually felt like wow i actually won something you know in running uh, after two years of just going back and forth so the next day you know we all bring our medals to school and you know get congratulations and and this, this, the speakerphone is, you know, telling the whole school how well we did. So it was really, really fun. Um, but then, you know, in eighth grade, that was the one thing to remember is I didn't really know English at this time. So I had only been in the country for about a year and a half, still adjusting to so many different things. I was pretty sure that was probably like five, four, five, five at the time. I'm six, two now, but, um, then, you know, it's, I had to make a decision. Hey, where do I go for? And I also played soccer too, actually. I, I did, I did really good in soccer. We were city champions middle school for soccer in eighth grade. Um, but I had to make a decision. Where do I want to go to, to high school? And a lot of my friends were either going to, you know, if you're Cape Verdean, you typically go to Madison Park High School or Burke, the Burke High School. Um, because yeah. those, those schools are the only schools, at least at the time, they had a Cape Verdean bilingual program. 
usually when you're in the US for the first four years, they recommend you that you stay within a bilingual program so that you can kind of like learn through the process. But um, one of my friends and I, uh, his name was Carlos Rosa. He said, hey, you know, I'm looking at, we were, you know, kind of like best friends in middle school, did a lot of stuff together. Carlos, did he end up going to UMass? Amherst? Yes, he did. Yep. That's my man. Oh, yeah. So Carlos and I were really good friends. You know, we eat lunch together. Uh, we do a lot of stuff together and he was a pretty cool guy. So I hung out with him a lot. He's from Fogo. And we said, you know, because our teacher, Mr. Pereira, who you know passed away a few years ago, he was just a really motivational guy. And he would tell us the stories about Carlos' cousin who ended up going to O'Brien and went to college and got a degree. And he had a picture of him right in our, in our homeroom. So we were we always kind of looked up to him and Carlos said, you know, Ruben, I think I'm going to go where my cousin went to the John D. O'Brien School of Math and Science. I said, wow, Carlos, that's a sounds like a very prestigious school. So we started doing a little bit of research into that. Like I started looking at the school. Then I found out, oh, oh, they have like an entrance exam. I don't know if I can pass that. I barely know English. <laughs> so we, um, you know, we both went, took the took the entrance exam. Uh, our math was was really good. Both him and I were, you know, sort of like straight A math students. Yeah. But my English is where I knew I was going to really struggle. Somehow we both were able to get in. We both passed the I think it's called the uh, seat uh, exam or something like that. Uh, this was yeah. way back in you know, early two thousand one. So we passed it. We were really really excited. And then you know, next thing, I'm going to a school I had been in the U.S. for less than two years, and it's an exam school, so the, the level is much, much higher as far as uh, everything else, academics. You know, we have a lot of honor classes, AP classes. So it's a really good school, one of the top three uh, exam schools in Boston, along with Latin Academy and Latin School. So once I, once I got to the O'Briens, I played soccer, of course, you know, for in the fall of ninth grade year. Was doing pretty good in soccer, and then one of my friends, Carl, he, he was a Haitian, a Haitian uh, student at O'Brien, he said, hey, you know, Ruben, I think you should come out for track because it seems like you're pretty quick on the soccer field. So I tried track during indoors and I actually, I was surprised. I guess sometime between my eighth grade and ninth grade year, I grew maybe like five inches. So wow. So I was taller, you know, my, my running became better. I guess my asthma was not really is relevant um so i was no more no more so i was more used to doing a lot of the the running that i did in, in soccer because i, I was you know, i was a forward um, scored a lot of goals in soccer and uh you know eventually i started doing um track and i happened to be it, it was just i think it was kind of just coincidence that i happened to be at o'brien and o'brien was not a very good school for soccer but he was the best school for for track in the city i want to pause there really quickly because i think that there are a lot of people like you right like think about how like you're an olympian you're an olympian right and you fell into running because you had the right people in your life at the right time yeah so that's so interesting because like think about how many kids are out there who didn't have you know mr Pereira who pushed you because you just think about like Madison Park and Burke. I have a lot of cousins that went there and they, they have ESL programs and you go through those programs and you don't become a great English learner, right? Because you're not forced right. to, to do all that. And then you're not, you're falling into like your primary groups of, of friends 
And so like you, it sounds like you were put, like you had the right mentorship and you ended up in the right positions to then like fall into like a, a perfect situation. Yeah, I, I did. But yet it was still really risky because I was, I was then putting myself, uh, you know, out of my comfort zone, you know, going to a school where, you know, as you know, O'Brien is something like 30% Asian. We have a lot more minorities as far as, you know, African-American students, black students, but it's not as high as some of the other schools. So I was in a in a position where, you know, even my English at the time was not that great. And it's not like we had um, we had phones where we could just look things up. I would literally come home sometimes and go on Google and look up words. And I had a dictionary that I carried with me, like a Portuguese English dictionary, just to find things. Yeah. Um, because there were times where it was, you know, things that I think some people may take for granted because they were born here. But certain expressions and, and how they put into different contexts have different meanings. And I think I, I struggle a little bit with that. But at O'Brien, I, I still did well academically. I graduated with a 3.93 GPA. I was top 20 in a class that was, you know, it's not, it's a really prestigious school. So you, whenever you, you're top 20, it's, it's not very easy. We had some really bright students there that went on yeah. to do a lot of great things. But I was, uh, as you mentioned, you know, having the right mentors, I think over time, whether it was in middle school, even in high school, you know, my coach, Jose Ortega, he was tough on us, um, both as far as training wise, but also academics. If you did not do well academically, you would not even be walking up to the team. He was straight, you know, no, no messing around with academics. And he knew, I mean, he was, he's also, you know, son of immigrant parents too. And he, he knew that the situation that we were in, you know, and uh, he was a hard worker himself uh, through college. Springfield College is a hurdler. He kind of, you know, mentored us, uh, not just as, as a coach, but then also his other, you know, his other assistants, you know, Coach Campbell, he also mentored, but he was you know, from Jamaica, one of the best triple jumpers at URI. And he really kind of uh, mentored us to guide us. And then eventually Coach Ortega, you know, once I got to the level where I was beginning to really show promise, I went from not really doing great middle school. Then in the city, I was now winning every single race in the city championship. So then he introduced me to another an, another Cape Verdean, um, Tony DeRocha. Tony DeRocha went to BU. He was he was a really good runner at BU, and he's he's from Cape Verde, and he happened to also attend the O'Brien High School. So then we had a special connection. Someone's told me about him as I was coming through my journey of like creating running. Your name came up and Tony's name come up. You got to bring Tony on the show. So Tony, he coached at, at English high school way back in the day. He's one of the greatest high school coaches. And his athletes went on to win two national championships in cross country. There's wow. only been maybe one or two athletes in high school to ever win two national championships. And he won it twice. He won the footlock championships in San Diego. And he was coached and mentored by Tony. And Tony went on to coach a whole bunch of different athletes from, you know, all different countries. They had their own international squads. You know, he had Saeed Ahmed from Somalia who went on to become an All-American at Arkansas, you know, almost made the Olympic team for the U.S. So there were so many different runners that he mentored and coached. So after 10th grade, my coach, Jose Ortega, he got me hooked up with Tony. So Tony would literally just, you know, take me with him on some of his runs and I would just be tagging along in the back, just trying to keep up with him. And he, you know, he's older now, but man, the guy can run. So it was really <laughs> tough for me to keep up with him. And he started you know, not only, you know, it wasn't just training, but also 
giving me you know different advice on, on things you know to do in life and you know, just being a hard worker and uh, trying to set up many goals and as i went through my my high school career you know soft senior junior senior year i then went from you know being able to win city championships to then now i was winning uh, some of the divisional state championship so in 2004 which was my last year running cross country and actually sophomore year to junior year had to make a big decision which was to stop playing soccer and that was as you know if you're a cape verdean you don't play soccer that's yeah that was kind of like i i think the one thing to really understand kind of to give you a little bit of context cross country is a sport that's really not popular in the city period no one yeah, wants well, no one wants to get out and running short shorts when they could just be in the gym playing basketball or or throwing a football around so at the time going into my junior i had a pretty good sophomore sophomore year playing soccer i was top three in the city for scoring and i was only a sophomore i scored 14 goals in 14 games my sophomore year so i knew that okay if i keep this up i definitely have i have a chance of maybe playing college but going into yeah. my junior jose ortega told me hey ruben if you really really want to be better in track this is the time you got to make a decision uh, should you do cross country and do more of running year round, which will help you, or you know you want to play soccer, but this is your decision. So I took some time that summer, and coming into my junior year, my soccer coach came up to me. He said, "Ruben, uh, we're naming you captain for the year." So I said, <laughs> "Okay, then that makes it a lot more difficult." So I um ended up going to my coach and I said, "Hey, you know I've made a decision. I'm going to do cross country for this fall." How'd you make that decision? That's hard. You mean you were, you're talking 15 year old kid? Well, basically, I said, look, if I'm going to do cross country, I'm going to pour my heart and soul into it. And that that's kind of like the that was kind of the attitude that I was going to that I was going to go with. And all my friends came up to me. They said, Ruben, how are you doing cross country? We don't even have a cross country team or cross country league in the city. I said, don't worry, that's that's not a problem. So I talked to Jose Ortega. He said, look, we can get you to do some time trials on your own at Franklin Park. Maybe if you run well enough, we can get you to a state meet uh, where at the state meet, you don't actually need to bring a full team. You can bring an individual. So I went to, I, I actually walked to White Stadium by house. I went to talk to, at the time, the, the city of Boston athletic director, Ken Still. I said, Ken, hey, you know, I, I really want to do cross country. I want to know that you guys are going to support me. If I need to go to invitational meets, that are outside of the city, you know, you're going to have a bus for me and all that. So yes, uh, yeah, we can do it. Uh, so once he gave me the green light, I basically trained my butt off that summer. I, I, and that, that junior year, I was training so hard. Uh, I ran my first cross country meet. I think I ran something like 1840 or 1820, which is nothing fast, but I said, wow, this is so much more difficult than I thought. And I kept, training eventually that that junior year you know i i actually ended up getting a knee um a knee injury and never really finished my season so then junior year is completely done and people ask me are you are you sure you really want to do this cross country thing again you stopped playing soccer you ran cross country you got hurt but the thing that really really inspired me is even though i was hurt that that junior year in cross country which is in the fall when I came back from my junior year of indoor and outdoor track, I had the best season ever. Uh, I won the division state championship. And uh, my coach Ortega said, hey, remember I told you cross country, that's what was really going to make you make a big difference. 
So I went yeah. from running maybe 449 in the mile and I dropped to 432 like that a year. Uh, I went from running 1150 in the two mile to running about 10 flats for the two mile. So I came back, I said, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to just do the same thing I did last year. There's really no need to change things. So during the summertime worked, you know, I worked really, really hard and did my mileage and people still ask me, how are you going to run if you don't have a cross country team? I said, don't worry about it. If I'm if I train and become good enough, there will be a, there will be an opportunity for me to race against the best kids. So I got to the point where the city was able to provide me with a coach. Uh, so it was our team for the entire league. Uh, just to give you give you a little bit of context, most teams around the state probably have at least 20 kids on their team. Teams yeah. like Boston College, Zverin High School, they would come in buses of like 100 kids to a race. Our city, we had five kids for the entire league. 15 schools, you have about five kids total. I think that the city could do a lot better at creating, because you're, you were obviously a very determined kid from the way you made your decisions and you were wise beyond your years. But when I listen to your story, I think about all the kids that could fall through, that yeah. could be, you know, that, that could use some structure. Uh, but you, you were obviously killing it and, and you had your own internal dis- uh, determination. Yeah. So we, we, you know, it was five of us and uh, our coach, Coach Loosler, was actually from Boston Light Academy. He volunteered to kind of help us out because, you know, he knew that I, I was very serious about it. And I talked to, you know, I talked to, to, uh, our athletic director, Ken Still, I said, look, I, I really just need the support. I need to have a coach. I need to have a bus to bring us to meets. And uh, I just kept training really hard that summer. And first, I think the first week of practice, uh, Coach Lusla had us do a time trial. And uh, I had run a time that would place top five at the divisional meet from last year by myself. So just five of us, it was myself, a Haitian a student from O'Brien, a few kids from East Boston, and then one more from uh, Snowden High School. It, you know, I ran a really good time. So then I said, coach, but we don't have a meet. We, like, we don't have a league. We don't have meets like these other schools do. You know, they all come in big buses. They compete against each other. So he said, Ruben, don't worry. I'm going to do something about it. So we would be practicing at Franklin Park. And then we would see all the kids from suburban schools come in the buses. And so my coach would go and ask their coach, hey, you know, we, we have a kid named Ruben. You think he can just hop in with you guys? and?" Just compete unofficially. He won't count in scoring or anything. They said, sure. <laughs> so I literally just hopped into some other school's races at Franklin Park. Shout out to your coach. Yeah. That's awesome. That's some hustle right there. Yeah. So we did that. We did that, I think, for three meets. And then I said, all right, coach, I think that was great for you know the first month of training and stuff. And then some of the bigger meets were coming up on the schedule, like you know, the Bay State Invitational, which is they bring all the best kids from all over the state to compete. And I ran the Bay State Invitational, which probably has, you know, two to 300 kids. And I placed fifth overall. So I said, coach, you know, I feel really good. I was really inspired. And then, you know, my coach then had more, uh, he even had more commitments to kind of helping me out. And my senior, so this is the last year that I'm competing. It's, you know, we, we were training basically. Franklin Park was kind of like the best place in the, in the States to run. And luckily, I live in Humble Dev at the time. Humble Dev, if you know, it's one minute walk. I don't know any Creoles from Humble Lab. Let me just say that. But it is, it is one minute walk. Over it there. is one minute walk. When you're running Bear Cage Hill, you can see Humble Dev. So I practiced at Franklin Park in every type of weather condition. I knew the course like the palm of my hands. We would do the course backwards. We would do the course, the last part, 
the first part and the middle part, we train on it every single day. So it was kind of like our, our home course. And at the, at the uh, division state meet, uh, which I believe I want to say was either the beginning of November or late in October, it happened to be snowing so much at Franklin Park. And we actually had done the same type of training when it was snowing at Franklin Park. So I was pretty familiar with how things were going to work out for, for us. And my other four teammates that trained with me at the time, you know, they, they, their times just was not really good enough to be able to, to make it to the meet. So, uh, coach Lusler said, Ruben, it's just going to be, it's going to be me and you, you know, we're going to go to the, the division state meet. So he picked me up at my, at my house in, at uh, Humboldt Ave. You know, we drove in his uh, yellow, I think, exterior Nissan, and it was really, really cold. You know, 20 degrees. It was still snowing. We had about five or six inches of snow on the ground. Uh, actually, the Boston Globe took this entire picture of the course, which I still have, covered all white snow. And we parked right next to the golf course. There were about, I think, eight races during that day. And I think we were the sixth race of the day. So we just basically stayed in his car. We didn't have any, you know, you see all the teams coming with like big team tents and, you know, the fans and everyone else there. There basically was, it was just me and him. There was no one else there. Like I, I, I didn't really tell anyone that I was really racing. You know, I think some people knew, but it was just me and him stayed in the car. And then when it was about 10 minutes until my warm up time, we went under, uh, there's a place where right next to the two mile line, usually a lot of the homeless people hang out there because it has a, a cover from the snow. Bridge. Yeah, something like that. So we, we went there, you know, brought a lot of blankets, stayed warm there while everyone else is like in their nice, really, you know, team sponsored tent with all their names on it. And we just stayed there with a whole bunch of blankets. He gave me extra gloves, extra, you know, warm up socks. And I did my warm up just by myself, no one else there, and stepped up to the starting line. As soon as the gun went off, I literally like just kind of took off. It was just me. I had coming through the mile, I think I had a 50 meter lead. And usually when you're doing a big race, like, you know, one of the state meets, you know, everyone knows everyone and all the other coaches. And I, I just heard some coaches just say as I went by, like, first mile, he's, he's going to die. You know, he's, he hasn't been done this before. By the two miles, I had about a, a 60 meter lead. And then going into bear cage for the last time, I had an 80 meter lead. And then I ended up winning the race by about 100 meters. So it was the first time that I ever won like a big cross country race. And then the next day, they had a huge picture of me in, in the Boston Globe in the sports section with all white snow covered course. I brought it over to, to Ken Steele and knocked on his door and showed him the paper. and. You know, it was a really good moment for us. And I think eventually that cross-country meet is what really got me to, to finally start getting noticed from different colleges about competing in college. And uh, knowing that that was a really good performance by me, I was able to start getting a lot of recruiting letters from schools. But uh, it was just, you know, I think sometimes we see things, just how they develop over time. It was just everything had to go you know, we, we never really stopped at whatever barriers we encountered. We just kind of went through it. We, you know, even at times where you could say, you know, this stinks. I don't want to be here. I have no teammates. I have no support. I have nothing. Like, it's just me and my coach under some some place here where, you know, snowing and we're just like hiding from the snow. And we went through, you know, it's pretty hard when you're doing cross country because, you know, you think about like the soccer teams, the football teams, you have a whole squad there, people really motivating you. 
a lot of times, especially late in the season, it was my coach and I. We would be doing, you know, repeats miles at, at Franklin Park. You know, I would go in the woods. I wouldn't see my coach for another like four minutes. And then I come out. It's like, hey, Ruben, yeah, good job. So it was November and October starting to get really cold, very easy to lose motivation. But we just kept plugging along every time. And I used that sort of like a lone wolf mentality as my motivation to really, really get through those, those tough times. What do you think gave you that internal motivation to want to chase this dream or even chase to hard work at that point? I think there, there's that fire in, in, in me as, you know, as an immigrant. Uh, and I think a lot of other immigrants who became successful in running in the city of Boston is because they, they had to work so hard with so many things. There are you know, privileges that we don't have. And uh, we had to work really, really hard. Your parents had to work really hard for all the things that you're able to get. And when you come to a new country like the U.S., where there's a lot of opportunities and you find yourself at a place where, you know, you have nothing to lose but work hard to get you to find your way up. I use that as my motivation to, to really help me get there. And I'm thankful that I went through those really tough times because a lot of the times that's that's where I learned the most, where you have a lot of challenges and you learn to overcome these challenges. And once you actually get over the barrier, you know, then you you build some confidence and then you say, OK, now I can do the next one. But I would set up mini goals as I went through the process, you know, trying to find always seeing the, the bottle half full rather than half empty, staying positive, even in the times when things didn't always work out, you know, like when I got injured and things like that. But we really just kind of always stay positive. And my coach and I, we were always happy at practice. I was really, really fortunate that he would take time out of his schedule to, you know, come spend Usually, if you're a coach, you expect to have like a whole team there, then it makes it worth it. Okay, I'm going to go to practice, you know, for him to be able to just be there with me, even just watching me when I went doing my training just by myself. I think uh, that was motivating, too, because I said, look, this, this guy could be at home with his family. Instead, he's, he's spending time with me on a park, just running laps by myself. He's probably pretty bored to just sitting there and, you know, with a, with a hand watch. But, you know, all those things really kind of inspire me. And when I went to college, I, I used those, those same techniques, uh, ways to get inspired when things didn't always go, go right. And fortunately, as you mentioned, you know, having those mentors was really important. And I went to a college where I had even, even more mentors and they eventually were able to, to help me get to where I needed to get. Why'd you pick UMass, UMass Lowell? What was the recruiting process like? What were the, the schools that you had an opportunity to attend? Yeah. So, I mean, I think at first when I started looking for colleges, I, I wanted to stay really close home. It was actually pretty funny. I won't mention the name of the school, but let's just say a school in Boston that I went to and I said, hey, can I run for you guys? They said, no, you're way too slow for us. So there's a there's a school in Boston that I, I went to and didn't even give me a chance. But what I really liked about UMass Lowell, and first of all, I did want to stay close home because I had been in the country for only a few years. I didn't have a car or anything like that. I, I needed someone who was more than a coach, someone who was a true mentor. So I went to UMass Lowell where I, I was actually amazed that the coach at UMass Lowell at the time, he was you know very young coach, Gary Gardner. He came to the city meets to actually watch one of my meets. And I said, wow, you actually took the time to come and watch one of my meets. You know, he, he messaged me back and forth and I really felt like he knew, you know, given his background that I was actually able to learn later, but he was the same type of, he used to use the same type of motivation when he was growing up to, to do his training. He ran in college at Keene State and he was all about 
hard work and putting in the time to getting the results, not being talented, but using that motivation that hard work can overcome talent. And I really appreciated the fact that he was looking at me, not just a runner, but a friend, a student athlete, someone that he wanted to help. He understood my background as an immigrant. He understood my background uh, as an inner city kid. And I felt a special connection to him. So I said, you know what? I did have other schools that, that were really, really going after me. But I said, I, I think I'm going to stick with UMass Lowell. I spoke to some of the kids on their team, you know, minority kids. And, you know, they had great things to say about him, about the program. So I joined them and, you know, and, and just like any other time in my life, it was still a lot of, a lot of work to get done. I still went through a lot of ups and downs in training, injuries, uh, not being able to achieve what I thought I could achieve at certain times. And to be quite honest with you, it wasn't until really late in my junior, senior year that I really had a, a massive breakthrough. And I credit that to, you know, being really patient and working through the process and believing in my coach. Uh, I think a lot of the times, you know, we, we sometimes want to see, we want to see results for right away. Um, but a lot of the times you, you know, you could be doing the right thing and just not see results, but that's okay. Because all the hard work that you do eventually accumulates over time and you gain experience, even from, from failure, you're getting experience. And uh, it wasn't until I think my junior at the cross country NCAA, I think it was somewhere down south, maybe in Missouri where I finally had a race that I was like, wow, I, I just achieved my, my potential that I thought I could do. And I, I stopped at that race. I think I finished, this was NCAA Division II cross country. I think my, my freshman year, I was like 100 something. And then sophomore year, I had missed it All-American by maybe 10 spots, which is 10, top 40. At this meet, I finished 23rd overall. And I, had, I gave it all I had, had one of my best races. And after the, after the finish line, I, I kind of stopped and I, I literally had like tears coming down my eyes. And then I knew, like, I was like, wow, I finally did what I knew that I could do. And from that moment forward, my senior year and then even my grad school year, uh, whenever I went through those hard times, I remembered that, hey, it is possible. Like it can happen. I can, I can do it again. And there were so many instances where my coach and I both thought, Okay, Ruben, you're ready for your best race of your life. You know, you've got your your special, you know, special breakfast. Everything is perfect. You've had no interrupted training, and then had really awful race. And it happened over and over and over again. And then, you know, eventually, I I just never gave up. I just kept coming back, coming back, and you know, and eventually, by the time I graduated, I, I finished my last two races for UMass Lowell at uh, at North North Carolina. 5K and 10K, and I finished top five in both of them. I uh, earned uh, All-American in both races. And that's how I finished my uh, running career at UMass Lowell. You know, it's sometimes we think, hey, you know, you've achieved success in maybe a particular sport, but a lot of times you, you're not really, there's, there's still a lot of ups and downs. And you have to be able yeah. to, to mentally learn from the process and learn how to not just allow people to motivate you, but you have to have some sort of inner motivation that comes from yourself to be able to pick yourself up and things go wrong. Everything you're talking about and the way that you suffer failures and you go through ups and downs, you have to find that inner motivation and really build upon any successes you have. I can relate that to like the entrepreneurship role, but like as a runner, I mean, it's, it, it translates so well. And I can see how you could motivate your runners and really keep them on, on that, that road 
to, to seeing the best of themselves. So very cool. Um, Thank you. So it looks like your your personal best didn't come until you graduated. Your fastest mile was in 2009. I guess we, you were still in college then. But everything after that, that's when you hit all your best. Actually, I came back from one more year of grad school. Yeah, in my grad school year, I ended up actually breaking the school record for the 5K at UMass Lowell. I ran under under 14 minutes, became the first ever runner from UMass Lowell to run under 14 minutes in the 5K, which was two minutes faster than I ran in high school. I mean, but you know, it was, it was, you know, during that time, a lot of things just started coming together after, you know, there were some times where I didn't break 15 minutes and, you know, I just had to learn to, to, to move from one race to another. And some of the best athletes in the world, what really separates them from the best is that they're able to learn and move on. One bad race doesn't make a career and one good race doesn't make a career either. And if you have one bad race and you learn to move on from there and come back on Monday, like any day of the week and, and start your training again, you're moving forward. But if you get so stuck on a bad race that it will mentally affect how you approach the next week, then you're taking a step backwards. So that's the way that I always saw things. And after graduating UMass Lowell, you know, there comes another chapter in my life. Uh, it's kind of like you rebuild again and you have some ups and downs along the way. And I feel like that chapter is what I've been on for the past 10 years or so since I graduated UMass Lowell. And I'm still training really hard. I made the Olympic team in 2012 for Cape Verde. 2016, I missed making the Olympic team by five seconds in the marathon. That's how it hurts. Yeah, you know, five seconds in the marathon, a race that's over, you know, thousands of seconds. But anyways, I kind of, you know, moved on from there. And since then, I've gone on to, you know, have some, a lot of ups and downs in my career. But I'm at a point where now I, I feel like everything is possible. I'm training really healthy again. This past summer, I had a really, really good race, even through the pandemic, training went really well. And now I'm looking forward to training to make the 2021 Olympic team. And I'm training to just, uh, for me, the way that I approach it is I'm training just to do my best. And if my best isn't, isn't what it takes, then I'm, I can move on. I can move on knowing that I did my best. And sometimes that's all we really need. And I tell people like when you're training, you know, there, there are things that you want to get done. You know, there are you know, barriers or standards or records or things that you want to get over. But the most important thing in all of that is not really the, the records, the lists, or the qualifying for Boston, New York, or whatever race it is. It is actually knowing that you gave all the best that you could have done, given the training that you did, given the background or the scenario or whatever feeling you had on that day. But once you finish the race and you know you did your best, then you can move on from there. And I've had a lot of races where I know I didn't qualify for certain things, like that race in Boston where I ran 219.05 and missed by five seconds. I knew that I didn't qualify, but man, that was one of the best races I've had. I, I, I could not, I don't think I could have done anything better on that day. And to this day, I still think my Boston Marathon race, uh, that day I finished 20th at Boston. That was the, one of the best races I've ever had. And I don't really regret not, you know, getting the five seconds. Because it is what it is. I mean, the, it's just a standard. I love that. That's a great mentality, man. When when was running the most fun for you? Like you've you've had your ups and downs. You've gone through like trial and tribulations. When you learned how to run, you were going through the process, and then you've experienced Olympics, right? Like when has running been been the most fun for you? I think uh, for me, you know, there's that aspect of training where 
I think I think sometimes when you're training, you know, you have all these sort of like mini goals that you set up for the week, the month, or the block that you're in. I think training for me is the most when you're you're literally just doing nothing but running. That's where you enjoy the most, where you feel like, wow, I am like I'm overcoming a mental challenge. For example, you go out today; it's snowing outside. You go out, and the first 10, 15 minutes, you're like, wow, this really stinks. I don't want to be here. But then when you're you know, about 50 minutes away from being done and you kind of go through a level where you're, it's almost like you got that runner's high and you're just, you overcome it. And it goes from something being like, maybe you weren't going to go out to run to then like you're crushing it during the really tough circumstances, you know? So for me, I've always really loved training. Even if I didn't race, I love that aspect of training. When you go through a period where you're You've overcome these these sort of like mental barriers in training, and you're now really crushing it for for a time when you could probably just not be there doing it. And that's the part of, of training that I like the most. The part of racing that I also like is being able to go through a race and actually, you know, do something that you hadn't done before, or a race that you've struggled through for many many uh, times in trying to accomplish. For me personally. That came in the 5K when I was trying to, to like break 14:30 for the 5K, and I hadn't done that. Every time I, I went into a race, I ran you know 15 minutes, 15, 14:50, and then one race it just happened where everything was just flowing, and I ran 14:0. I think it was 14:06 on that race. I think those moments where you have so many races that you're trying to to you know to do your best, you're not able to do it, and you have that one race and it just clicks. Uh, it just makes it so worth it. All those, you know, bad times that you had in the past. Man, running is just, you got to love it, right? Yeah, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that it does help with a lot of different things in, you, in your life, things that you want to get accomplished and you kind of see things from uh, from different perspectives uh, as you go through life. But like you said, you really got to, you got to love running because running is is a lifestyle and it's not like another sport that you, Tell yourself, oh, I, I just take the time off and just go and do it. Running is like, you know, it's an everyday thing. It's like brushing your teeth. You got to do it every day to keep up with it. Sounds like you are running and training and, and ready to, to take on the Olympics in 2021 or at least try to qualify for the Olympics in 2021. How has the pandemic played kind of through that? Has it helped? So, yeah, I mean, for me, the standards are pretty tough for the Olympics in 2021. For, for me to be able to represent Cape Verde, there's so many different ways to qualify. You know, when we, the Olympics, Olympic Committee sets up an international standard and then each country set up the way that they want to select their athletes. For me, in order to, to qualify for Cape Verde, I need to show that I'm the best athlete they have, the best athlete that they have in track and field period for whatever event it is. Or I need to be able to get the Olympic standard. Now, the Olympic standard is ridiculously fast, which I think it's almost impossible. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but... It is pretty hard to get, especially now. But if I run at my best and I come close to my Cape Verdean record, I think I can still get picked on the team based on being one of the best from Cape Verde. Now, during the pandemic, I've been uh, pretty fortunate to be able to, you know, train. And I did a lot of a, a really long buildup from March until about August, September. I did a couple of time trials with when, which went really, really well. And then I took some time off. And recently, I've I've gotten a lot of support from the Cape Verde Olympic Committee. They've hired a whole team of staff, doctors, sports psychologists, 
sports medicine professionals, nutritionists that we are working with. Um, they're kind of like set up this team to help each one, each one of us become successful. And I just started a new base for what I'm hoping to do a, a spring marathon in 2021. That will be sort of like one of my last chances to really show that I, I'm able to compete for the Olympics, which hopefully will take place in the summertime. But for now, I'm just you know, going through my, my training and, and hopeful that uh, some races will open up and there will be more opportunities uh, in the spring to, to put up some times. So I know you have a three-year-old. I have a kid. How's that been? as a new chapter of your life and how that, how is that like kind of weaving into the way that you take on racing, training, working and all that? Yeah. So I actually, so my three-year-old steps, uh, stepson, we, uh, my fiance and I got together. We live all live together. It's been fun. He loves to, he loves to run. So during the summer, I would, you know, if you want to find a quick way to, to, to have a toddler, take a nap, just take him on a run. So, we would actually uh, run in the stroller throughout the city and he loves to stroller. And whenever we come back, usually the last 15 minutes, he's falling asleep. So he loves running uh, me and it's, it's kind of fun. He always, he's always looking for me to, to run faster and faster and faster. And it's kind of, uh, it's actually good training because it's not easy, you know, pushing someone on a stroller for a 10 or 12 mile run, but kind of like become uh, used to it. And, uh, added resistance yeah added resistance training <laughs> and he's actually come to uh, a couple of my races before the pandemic and he loved watching uh you know watching me race and watching other people race it's pretty fun that's cool tell me about your kind of your coaching right now like how many athletes you training how many other coaches do you work with yeah so um when uh we we have different uh different training plans uh so we have one of our most popular plans is sort of like a monthly a monthly coaching plan. So basically with any athlete, any level, any age or ability level, they meet up, they go on our website and they sign up for coaching. When they're signing up, they're putting in their background and, you know, background, racing history, health history, they sign out liability forms and they select a coach. And once they select a coach, uh, we then reach out to them as a business and say, Hey, Here's how, here's how the process works. You know, that we use a, a platform called Final Surge, which is very, very interactive, where, you know, we could be coaching a, a runner in Australia. And as soon as they finish their run, their coach here in the U.S. gets a notification and they can go in and see every aspect of their run, their mile splits and everything like that. So I coach anywhere during the year, anywhere between 15 to, to 20 athletes. I write weekly uh, plans for them. We communicate, whether it's by phone or, or text message or through the app. I had uh, something, um, you know, I had about at max, I think I had eight coaches. I have less now working with me because some of them became very successful that they started their own coaching business after. But <laughs> the coaching interaction is a lot of fun because I get to learn from the athletes. I get to learn the struggles they go through. And what I really like about, you know, what we provide as a coaching business is that a lot of times, you know, people who want to keep running, they, they have all sort of challenges in their lives, whether it's their their job or they have irregular times or they have to travel or they have uh, family social events they have to attend. They find it that it can be a real struggle to to fit in their their schedule uh, so that they're doing something effective as far as running. What I do on my end is I analyze all of the time that they actually have available to run, and I put together a training plan to maximize their ability to get the most out of themselves. So I look at okay, if you're traveling here. Okay, maybe I want to give you an easy day here so you can rest up before 
If you have a couple of days here that you have more time to recover, we'll do a little harder workout. And I plan their, you know, their racing schedule and their training so that uh, it's, it's very tailored to themselves as an individual. That sounds like you're very intertwined into, into specifics of, of, of each athlete. Um, which I think is important. I think a lot of coaches don't do that. I think a lot of training plans are kind of like, here's a 5K plan, here's a 10K plan. Yeah. And just go do it. I love your approach to like analyzing their time because everyone's time is different. Yeah, everyone has different goals and backgrounds. And for me, one of the things that I really do with, with the athletes that I coach is I tell them, hey, you can, you can join uh, the coaching plan or you can, you can leave anytime. There's no cancellation fees or anything like that. I'm here to work with you as you know as a friend coach to help you get better and i'm not even though it is part you know i i do put, put a lot of time into it because it is a business but i'm here to make things as flexible as possible for you because my goal is to eventually see you improve so do you have any plans to visit cabo verde live in cabo verde uh running cabo verde coaching cabo verde like what, what are your motivations to like i actually go i go back there probably every other year i bought i, I went there this uh, this January, actually, I was there and I, I bought some land there. So I'm hoping uh, sometime in the future, you never know, things change a lot. I'm hoping to you know, maybe build build a house or two there and, and you know, keep my, my roots there. But I'm always in communication with a lot of athletes from there. I go back there. Actually, you know what? So I do a lot with my local running team in Santa Maria, my hometown. You know, I, I talk to the kids online, um, but every time I go there, I try to make sure I connect with their coaches. And what we're doing now, uh, my family and I, we're sending a lot of shoes to Cape Verde. So we have barrels of shoes. Last month, we sent something like, you know, a barrel of shoes, a barrel only costs about $35 to buy. And we fill it up with like 50 pair of shoes and we send that to Cape Verde. It's only about $95 and they get it in about 30 days or so. So that's a way that I've been trying to also, you know, keep in touch with them to help them out because, you know, running is kind of, uh, it's kind of starting to really take off there in a lot of places there. And it's a good way to keep kids on the track. And I know that the impact it had on my life and I'm trying to really help them out too as well. So if you have any shoes and you're listening to this podcast, just get in contact with me. We'll, we'll take whatever shoes you don't want and we can donate to a good cause. We should do a, a Pioneers shoe drive for Ruben and... Yeah, right? That'd, that'd be awesome, yeah. man. I see a lot of similarities in, in the way that you approach wanting to make changes or make, like, add to the lives of the, of the folks in Cabo Verde to, the, like, what I'm trying to do in Dorchester. It's like, running was has such a big impact on my life that I want to bring it to the people who I think need it a lot. And you have great places to run in Boston. I mean, this is just... Yeah. It, it, even right in Dorchester, there's lots of good places. And I think once you get people together... It is so much easier to run once you get people together. I mean, it's like when I was living, in, when I was training in college and going to all these different parts of the world to running, like all my running was done right in Dorchester. Dorchester, Jamaica Plain, Brookline, I would go back and forth. And people would be looking at me running in Dorchester like, this kid is crazy. Like, what are you training for? And I would just say Boston Marathon. So that it's fine. Don't, don't try to explain like 5K. <laughs> you know, don't, don't say you're doing a mile race because they, they'll think that they're you're out of your mind just say you're training for a marathon so i would get a lot of really random questions like you know when it would be snowing and they, they would see me running every single day crossing blue hill ave you know talbot ave columbia road you know all these you know streets here in dorchester and roxbury and i would just say yeah i'm training for the marathon see i agree with you 
But part where we struggle still is getting people together. Running is such a, it's running. You have to, it's a lifestyle. You have to love it. You have to end up loving it. But we struggle with still, even though we've been doing this for three years and we run every, everywhere, every, every street you just mentioned is where we run. Like we meet in Dorchester, we run all of, all these streets, but it's still, we got to find, we have to be able to find these kids probably and like older adults who want to be a part of that. And we, we struggle to find the Criolos, the Haitians, the like all, you know, all the, the immigrant communities and bring them out because we're growing, but we're growing by a lot of non-immigrant, non, non-minorities. So we want to stay true to the mission. So that's the tough part is getting those folks ready to go. We got to find more people like you who got that internal want and need. I think, you know, doing, doing podcasts like this can be really helpful. And I always like to tell people, you know, if you want to start running, just keep it, keep it very simple, you know, set up your goals, like mini goals, tiny goals, things that you know you can accomplish and give yourself a pat on the back. Uh, and think about just, you know, your, your health and wellness. That's, that's, the, that's the first thing you should really think about. And then once you, you kind of start doing that and just take the time to really allow yourself to grow into the sport because you have to be really, really patient with it. Running is a sport that sometimes it takes months for you to actually feel like, okay, now I'm not looking for oxygen. You know, I can actually sustain a run. And I think sometimes people sort of like quit too early because they think there's something wrong with them. And I'm here to tell you there's nothing wrong with you because I went through that. <laughs> so you got to just get, you know, be patient, give yourself time to really adapt. Think about the health and wellness. Enjoy the social atmosphere of running, which is, is an incredible way to, you know, build your network of friends and, and you know, people around you that you can rely on maybe in the future and build some, you know, maybe create some some ways that you you can mentor someone who's new or, or learn from someone who's a mentor. Just be patient with it. Give yourself time. And, you know, even, even if you're not having, you know, whatever your goals are, let's say if it's like, for example, if you want to run a 5k, let's say even if you don't get to run a 5k or you don't get to accomplish whatever time you want to put in, you're still getting the health and wellness benefit of it. I love that. Two things I want to point out before we finish here. Brennan Bonner, you know, Brennan Bonner. I do. He told me recently that you were the person that uh, like showed him Boston, like when he first got here. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Uh, so yeah, Brandon, uh, I think he moved from uh, from Maryland, and uh, yeah, this was, I mean, it was probably uh, maybe almost ten years ago, and as you know, Dorchester has changed significantly from ten ten years ago. Just even yeah. the demographics in Dorchester, you know, urbanization in, in areas of Dorchester, which didn't. You know exist in the past the real estate industry has changed so much transportation all these things and i see this guy running and i think it was at franklin park and i just like ran into him and i said i haven't seen you you're not from around here so i have not i come here every day and i i don't i haven't seen you this is the first time so he started telling me that he was you know he came from maryland and he was a teacher at uh, i think epiphany at the time yeah i think now he's teaching maybe at boston college but you know, we we yeah, high school. We created uh, you know a, a friendship, and uh, eventually I, I you know told him a little bit about myself, and I showed him some of the areas here. And the next thing you know, he, he's like he knows everything now. <laughs> he's he's you know he got into the, the the racing scene for for clubs, and he really I think he really liked being in Dorchester because it's kind of an area where you know it's 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 definitely. I mean, running in Dorchester has definitely changed in the past 10 years. I see a lot more people running now. And I, I, dro I drove by last month to my dad's house and I said, 
where were all these people running when I was running? I was just the only one here. So, I mean, you've already started making a lot of progress. And it's, it, like I said, it, these things can, can take time. But I'm seeing, you know, as someone who used to run in, in Dorchester all the time, I'll tell you just a few times that I've driven by my dad's house and I'm seeing people running, uh, you know, minorities running way more than I used to. It's already happening. Absolutely. So Brennan was actually a friend of mine who we, we taught at Epiphany together. And then he helped. He was one of the first people to help start Pioneers Run Crew with me. Mm -hmm. He gave me a lot of motivation, a lot of coaching. Uh, so we've been friends for 10 years since he moved here. So that's so interesting that like you guys are friends. I was friends with him, but we never yeah. made a connection. I, I did. I did actually have a talk at Epiphany a few years ago. A few years ago. Uh, he invited me and I went there and I had a talk. So you might have been there. I can't remember. I think I think you were there. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Ruben, thank you so much. Do you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, I just uh, just want to thank you for having me on, on the show. And I, I hope to, to see the, the continued success of the Pioneers Running Club. And it's really great to see a lot more people running in, in areas of Dorchester and Roxbury because, you know, during the time I lived there, I didn't really quite see a whole lot of that happening. But Things are changing fast, and it's really cool that you have a podcast dedicated to continuing to, to inspire people. And I, I hope I uh, I can I can do that myself to, to some extent from wherever I am. So thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, thank you so so much, and we uh, wish you the best on your training for 2021. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a quick review. This helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode then please share it with them. That wraps up today's show. Thank you, and I'll see you on the next episode.